Well, Pastor uh, Kelly always speaks in this way. He always says, we are here to make much of Jesus. And that's what we're hoping to do today. Um, as I was considering this passage, I was just thinking, Lord, I mean, this is such a, such a rich text. We're in Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. What a, what a way to make much of Jesus when the heading of, a, of this section says, Jesus is greater than Moses. So that's what we're going to be talking about right now. Can we go ahead and pray, though, uh, before we get started? Lord Jesus, again, I just second what Kelly said. Uh, won't you just speak, Lord Jesus, clearly to us? I know we're all in different places, Lord, but we want to make much of you. And uh, we want to consider you, Jesus, this morning. So we pray, God, um, that that would take place. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. My wife shared this really cool thing with me this morning. This isn't part of what I wanted to share. But as I was coming, I was thinking, this is kind of the first time I'll get to, to bring a message for the entirety of the, of the service at, at this part of, portion of the service. And she said this cool thing. She said she was listening to a pastor named John MacArthur, and he said that, you know, God is the one who does all the work with the, with, the, with the Word. Like, he just kind of brings it on a tray and gives it out to the church on Sunday. And he said he was really a glorified busser. And I don't know, but that just made me feel so calm inside. I was like, yeah, I like that. I used to be a restaurant server and a manager. I, I can be a glorified busser, too. That's really what you are, right? So anyway, for those of us who are new to Southlands, uh, perhaps you've been unable to view maybe our previous messages that are online. Uh, we've been talking about the book of Hebrews since, I think, the last week of January. And Kelly's taken us through the first two chapters. Um, we understand that Hebrews was written for a community of, of Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Um, there is no way to know who wrote uh, the book of Hebrews, but it's, I think, our collective belief that the Holy Spirit inspired the writer um, to write to this group of people. And you may be wondering, why is that important? Well, this is te- literally, that's the context of the scripture. It's written completely for the, this group of people. It was a smaller group of people, um, and it was comprised of three smaller groups, if you, if you would. Uh, so one group was the Messianic Jews. They were actually followers of Jesus. They had heard the gospel, and they believed it. And they walked away from everything to pursue Jesus and follow him. The second group was in this, in this community was also, had also heard the message and agreed with it, but had yet to make a focused commitment to follow him in their lives and give up everything to follow Jesus. And then the third part of them were, like all of us, there's probably a, there might be a part of us here that maybe hasn't chosen to believe Jesus and take him at his word. Well, they were a group of, I like to call them pre-believers as well. They had heard the message, but they yet to say, hey, Lord, I want to apply this to my heart and move forward. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, we completely, I was completely, um, just jumped around here. I apologize. I was a little out of, out of uh, sorts here. Please excuse me. But what I wanted to say was that we believe, again, one more time, that the Holy Spirit truly inspired this word. Truly inspired this word. Kelly has implored us during previous chapters to see Jesus, to look for him, to focus on his radiance as he was and he is the exact imprint of God. Now, The Holy Spirit presents Jesus as being greater than the prophets and the angels in power and character and as example through his life he lived and the power he exhibited through his life and his ministry, even the power over sin, severing its consequence for eternity for the ones that place their faith in him, their belief and their confession. And so it is this group of believers and pre-believers that are in their midst that this letter of Hebrews was written to. Now I have a question for you all. Have you ever been part of, of a team, like a team sport, or even a, a, just a group that regularly met, that belonged and said, hey, that's my clan, that's my clique, that's who, that's who I run with? 
I mean, even at work, have you ever been part, maybe even been part of a, maybe like a smaller working group at work that had a focus on one thing? Yeah, all of us probably can say yes to that, right? Well, because of circumstance, maybe, I know in my life I've seen this happen, perhaps what you thought you were in control of, well, suddenly you lost control of it and you were no longer part of that group. That's kind of what we're looking at. Suddenly you're no longer part of this kind of exclusive group and you weren't needed. So you were removed and what was perhaps good for you or at least helped you feel good about having a part, well, that was no longer a possibility, was it? I get cold just thinking, my heart just feels cold, feel, remembering, recalling a, a moment like that in my own life. But that kind of situation is exactly where this community of Jewish believers and Jewish people found themselves. That's what happened. They were at uh, the risk of, that was, that was what happened or what was at risk of happening to the community the letter of Hebrews was written to. They were Jews, and because of their faith in Jesus, their response to what the Holy Spirit had said and was communicating to them, they were most likely excommunicated. They were removed from what they had known all their lives. And this is significant. It's, <laughs> it is so big. I don't, know if I, could, I, I don't know if I would be able to be taken out of everything I'd ever known and said, forcibly removed and said, you know what, you are no longer part. You cannot come here. You cannot talk to us. You are forcibly removed, even persecuted for what you've done. And that's basically what happened. You see, they were removed from their synagogue, from their family, from the tradition and culture, which if you understand anything about Judaism and being a Jew, I mean, this is an identity. This is ingrained in every thought, in every conscious decision, in every choice, in their prayer. It was constant. It was who they were. It was who they thought they were. And they were persecuted as well, like I said. And so because of this, uh, this removal, they began looking back at what was, what had just happened, what their lives were like. And it was what Kelly had spoken about this a few weeks ago. I think he called it the when right? The when You know that when you remember how things used to be? Do you remember life, how it was? This is kind of a way of thinking, right? I remember when we used to do this. I remember when we used to do this. I, I, I think this is real. This, this, this when we thing, it's a real thing. And it's something all of us, I think, can tangibly recall or reply, remember or even apply to our lives. I think this is kind of similar. It kind of happens in the context of when you come to a relationship with Jesus. You know, when you first come to him, like, I, w- I couldn't even talk right now. I was blubbering, just recalling how Jesus saved me. Some of the lyrics of, the, of, the, of the, those worship songs, how God has drawn us out of the past. There's no more guilt. There's only glory. The shame is removed completely, right? That compels one. That compels one to see Jesus in a different light. It, it just moves you forward. And yet at the same time, as time goes on, like, we are now called to partner in our relationship with Jesus, aren't we? We are called to do certain things, aren't we? He's revealed and entrusted his word to us. And sometimes that can be a little hard. And so that shine, that, woo, that ardent, that passion that you once had, it can seem a little different. And that's okay. Well, when you think about that, how when we, how you think back, like, wow, I remember when I first came to know Jesus. I remember sharing my faith and crying and worshiping like I never had worshiped before. Well, Try to apply that maybe, that, something similar to that too, what the Jewish community was going through, and you're going to have a handle. You're going to have maybe a greater understanding of, of what they were going through. You can't really blame people for the one we's, can you? You can't. We're flesh. It's okay. But this is what I love about the Holy Spirit. He places the emphasis right in this moment on Jesus, not on their circumstance, but on Jesus. Jesus, okay? 
He's supreme, Jesus is. He's superior, and he's sufficient in all aspects. That's what the writer's going to say, and that's what we're going to read right now. It, I almost kind of wanted to say we need nothing in addition to Jesus. We do. We need people, don't we? He, he brings people into our lives, our family, our friends. He does. But he meets all of them. And when we understand that it's Jesus is the giver of all good things, every good and perfect gift, right, comes from the Father of the heavenly lights, right? It just takes on this different life. Well, let's read this passage together, okay? It's Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. I was panicking a little while ago because I couldn't find it. I have a son. My son, Evan, is in love with planes. He wants to fly a plane or be uh, an air traffic controller. And so I look at my phone. I go, where's my notes? Where's my Bible? And all I saw was this big uh, aviation thing with the planes flying everywhere. It's a radar. So forgive me for sharing that right now. But uh, I found it. Thank God. I'm going to ask us to do something. I don't know if you're comfortable with this, but I just kind of like this thought. I remember as a kid doing this and being in awe of God. Can I ask you guys to stand really quickly, if I can, if I may? Can we stand together for the reading of God's word? I think it's going to be up here. Hebrews 3, verses 1 through 6. Let's read this together. It says, Jesus is greater than Moses. That's the heading. So therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his sons, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So I wrote, why, why, why? Why is it so important to prove Jesus better than Moses? Why? Well, because the Jews held Moses in such high esteem. I'm going to take a little time to talk about this. We need to understand this to grasp this holy, and to understand the application, even what God has for us in this moment. You see, Moses spent time talking with God. He saw the glory of God, and his face literally reflected God's glory. Now, this is different than Jesus being the radiance of God's glory. He is God, but the reflection, like looking in the mirror and seeing himself, well, that's what he did. Moses literally reflected God's glory on his face, and everyone saw it. Can you imagine that? I mean, I've seen people that love the sun tanning beds, you know, that reddish-orange look. But this is something different. And I almost, in my mind, I imagine just looking, and you, you can't really see the details of the eyes or the mouth. You just know it's him. You know, I, that's, that's kind of the way where my head goes. Yeah, he led the people out of, the, out of Israel, out of Egypt, the people of Israel out of Egypt, right? And you've, all, you've probably all seen the movies. Who's seen it? The Ten Commandments. We used to watch, watch it all the time at Easter. What does he say? Ramses! Let my people go, right? That's Charlton Eston, right? Or if you guys are too young, all you in the front row right here, the Prince of Egypt, right? What's the song? What's the song when he's delivering him out of Egypt? What does he say? I know you sing it. miracles, right? When you believe, right? Okay, okay, we're gonna, that's all the singing I'm doing. Right, but those, those productions right there, those movies, that cartoonish movie, which is pretty, pretty good, by the way, it barely scratches the surface of what Moses meant. And to this day, he still means to the Jewish people. 
Wrap your mind around that. Such a unique standing in the minds of all the Jewish people. Now Moses had face-to-face time like we said. He spoke with him. They literally conversed. I was reading a commentary and it said they had like a mouth-to-mouth. Like God spoke and Moses responded and God answered and commanded. Can you imagine that? They spoke face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth. It's nuts. God used Moses to pin the Torah, which are what? The, five, the first five books of our Bible. The Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You guys know them. So he was responsible for, for the Levitical law, the Ten Commandments, the law. Moses and, and the law were one. They weren't separate. They were one. God used him to be the voice, to pen it, to do it. Can you imagine that? This is who Moses was. And Moses and the law, man, it governed everything that the Jewish people did. And the Old Testament commandments and rituals, all of those things were the priorities of, in the Jewish lives and culture. It dictated everything. They started their week because of worship, because of the law that God gave to Moses and spoke to them through Moses. Can you imagine that? What a standing, how much esteem he was held. Well, what about his life? We just sang the, the song, right? The miraculous manner in which God spared his life. If you saw that Prince of Egypt movie, you know there's another song there. And what does he do? Like he gets in that basket and he's just moved away. God miraculously saves his life in the midst of all the death that was going on around them. For what? For what purpose? To prepare him, to use him, right? And here is a crazy thing. I don't know, a lot of us might not be as familiar with the Old Testament, but the book of Deuteronomy says this, that God literally used his hand to create a grave for Moses. Wrap your mind around that. That's amazing. So there's miraculous workings in his life, in and through his life, from the very beginning, in the middle, to the end. It's pretty crazy to think about that. Hmm. Yeah, he led the people out of, uh, of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness. He presented the plans for the tabernacle and the arks of the covenant through him. Moses was great. There was none like him. There literally was no one like him. And so as I was reading that commentary on Moses' life, specifically in Deuteronomy regarding that grave, the writer literally believed that God dug that grave to make it unmarked so that the people of Israel, because they held him in such high esteem, that they wouldn't find it. They wouldn't go to it. They wouldn't make it a place of mission for them and use it as an idol in their worship. That's how highly he was thought of. Well, here we go, right? As great as Jesus was, the Holy Spirit calls us to look upon Jesus, who's far greater than Moses. The Holy Spirit, remember Hebrews, we believe, is just Holy Spirit inspired. So as I speak today now and get a little bit more into the reads of this, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to reference him as the writer, okay, guys? Just, just so there's no confusion. So to be consistent, and with Pastor Kelly, you know he likes to share points, so I'm going to be sharing three points today. Points that speak to Jesus's great, how, greater, how much greater he was than Moses. Now, Jesus was greater in his office. That is, he was the apostle and the high priest. That's point one. The second point is Jesus is greater in his work. He's the builder of the house. And the last one is that Jesus is superior in his person. He is the son. So point one, Jesus is greater and superior to Moses in his office. He's the apostle and high priest. We have to read a little bit here, okay? But it says this. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling... Consider Jesus. I'm going to say it again. You brothers who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. He is the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Consider Jesus, whether you're a Christian or not. Please consider Jesus this morning. If you don't do anything else, just think about Jesus. Who did he say he was today? That's a starting point, friends. Many of us here 
have, have, have markers in our memories of the time we heard, first heard about, heard about Jesus. This is hard. I remember I grew up in a, in a God-fearing home. And I truly believe I'm here today because I heard my mom praying for me. Thank you. I heard my mom praying throughout my life. Those are markers for me. Markers of when Jesus was introduced. When I learned there was a significance. You know, there was a marker in my life at one point. I remember I believed everything my mom said. I still do for the most part. Um, but she said, you know what, Anthony? Wherever you go, whatever you do, Jesus is always looking at you and he sees you. You are never out of sight. And so I'd walk over here. And this is what I did. I literally did this. And don't laugh. But he said he can always see me. Man, I wonder, I wonder if I can catch him looking at me. And so I'd be walking. I'd begin to do it. And I'd turn around really quickly, try to catch him. And he wouldn't be there. But I literally, why did I do that? Because I literally felt him staring at me. I felt like he saw me. Consider Jesus, friends, right? Here's a sad thing. I remember the time vividly when it didn't feel like he was looking at me anymore. It's part of the journey, right, friends? And Moses had that part too. So from the get-go of chapter 3, literally the first word in the verse, the Holy Spirit is going to take us back to what he had revealed already in chapter 2. And I'm going to go back really quickly just to read this. But the word is therefore, that first word, and I'm using the ESV, is therefore, therefore holy brothers. So what he's going to do, the Holy Spirit's going to build on something he had already stated previously. I love this. And do you know why? Because this is what he is saying. is not as simple. It's not like a simple emotional whim. Not a silly whim. It's not that passion you feel when, when you're excited. You know, that kind of is temporary and go away. No, no, no. This is, this is it's, it's better than that. It's better than a plea for consideration even. Instead, the Holy Spirit says, look at Jesus. Contend with what the scripture says. Let's see what it says there. Hebrews 2, I think it's 9 through 18. I'm just going to read it really quickly because it's so rich, friends. You're all right? Okay, it says this, it says, it says this. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Here are these things that are happening. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for who? For everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect, through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That means he came into flesh, right? That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That's key. That is the devil. He's destroyed, friends. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I was fearful of death and I was a slave. But now I'm a slave to righteousness. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. He's talking to the Jewish people. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered, has suffered when tempted, he's unable 
he is able, excuse me, to help those who are being tempted. Amen. What is he saying there? He's saying this. He was made lower than the angels for a reason. He's a salvation. He's our salvation. The captain of our salvation. He's a sanctifier. He works in us. He calls us brother and sister, son and daughter. He destroyed Satan and death, and he delivers us out of bondage still. He continually delivers us. So on the basis of what's said about him, you ought to consider him, right? Consider Jesus, it says. Consider Jesus. Now remember, he's talking to the Jewish people, and there's a lot at stake here. Man, but I'm this, I'm this, I have this, I'm grafted into the Jewish, my heritage. This, what do I, how can I consider this? Well, he, goes, he just wants to keep on going. Based on what the Holy Spirit is saying about Jesus, you should consider him too. Let's consider him, friends. He's just told them what kind of an apostle he is. He's told them what kind of a high priest. He's a faithful high priest. He's faithful. Write that down if you are writing. He's a faithful apostle or the sent one as he comes from God to accomplish salvation. Now you've seen what kind of an apostle he is sent from God. You've seen what kind of high priest he is. So consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Get that word around your, your mind. Well, I'm going to end with that, guys. Consider Jesus. What an apostle he was. He was a high priest. He was powerful, but he was sympathetic. He was sympathetic. He was merciful. And he's faithful. He's saving. He's reconciling. He's helping. He's all of those things. Those are truths. Those are truths we cling to. You guys know when it feels like the darkness is so strong, when you feel weak, when you feel like you just have no strength, these are the truths that we claim. This is who has saved us. This is the king, and he's coming again, friends. He's coming again. So there we go. So what if, what, what, those, that was all in verses 14 through 18, all those things I said. Please go back if you can, and you want to re, read them and just meditate on them. Those are wonderful ways to worship God. So what the Holy Spirit is saying to the Jewish community is drop the things that are holding you up. What's holding you up, friends? What's holding you up? What's causing you to hesitate to place your faith in Jesus? Focus on Jesus. He's all you need. So I have to ask this. I came across this question I just wanted to ask. Is anyone here, has anyone here come out of the, uh, a Judea, a Judea, Judaism, a Jewish background? Anyone? Yes? No? No? Okay, that's okay. Well, most of us can't relate to what it's like to come out of Judaism, can we? We can't. The temptation, but the temptation, that temptation to hold on to things, we can't really relate to that. But I think, here's something good. I think we do sometimes find ourselves often lured into believing that our works, our religious experiences are what it's all about. That's not true, guys. That's not true. That, that's not true. That God expects more from us than just our faith and our love is what I'm trying to say. No, he doesn't expect more than our faith and our love. He wants our obedience, yes. To obey is better than sacrifice. It is. But what God expects more than, more than that, he thinks, he expects, we think, he expects us to do certain things, little things to please him. And it's very easy to kind of hang on to that thinking. Man, I didn't spend enough time in prayer today. Man, forget it. This day's a wash. Oh, I only got there for the last worship song. I'm not, oh, I'm not going to be able to do it. This whole Sunday service is done now because I didn't get to experience the fullness of it. Those are lies. Those are lies. You see, Jesus, what he wants instead of that was what we call, sometimes can be called legalism. What he craves for our lives is the, the Christ-controlled, the Spirit-led life. So the statements of Christ's sufficiency as the apostle and the high priest certainly shatter all that other legalism. Okay, Jesus is the perfect apostle. And he's the perfect high priest. Point number two, Jesus is greater. He's greater. He's more superior in his work. He is the builder of the house. Okay, this is from Hebrews 2.4. 
And forgive me, but I believe I have to read a little bit of verse one again because that first, first two verses are made up of one long sentence. So I'll, tell, I'll show you what it is. It says, Therefore, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Here's verse two. It says, Who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as a builder of a house gets. And then a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now in this moment, you're, I don't know if you caught it, but the Holy Spirit, he does something so loving and so kind in this way, in this part of the passage. Because remember, he's writing this letter to a group of people um, that may not believe. I mean, who has ever been told, you're wrong, what you believe is wrong, you're going to hell, you're a sinner? I heard that fire and brimstone preaching when I was a kid, and man, that never made me feel good. And even as a kid, I knew, Lord, is that love? I mean, maybe they, I, I can't measure the hearts, but I, it was very hard to receive messages like that. And so why this is kind of cool to me and why I think this is loving is that he's writing to them and he's not going to come out and just say, ready, mic drop, Jesus is greater than Moses, boom, and he's going to walk off. He doesn't, he doesn't just say it like that. No, instead he comes along and says, well, let's see how they're comparable. That's what he's going to do right here. Because they revered Moses and knowing this, the Holy Spirit, he didn't just rudely say it. Jesus is greater than Moses. No, he didn't. Before he talks about the differences between the two. No, what he does, he focuses on the similarity. And I think that is so kind. It really is. Say, read it again. Therefore, holy brothers, you who, were, who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Ready? Who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful on God's purpose. Did you know Jesus was faithful to God? Do you guys know that? He did, did you? Sometimes I, I read this stuff and I think about it, and it's like, damn, he was, he is faithful, but he was faithful to God first. Now I can be too, right? What well, says in John 6, 38, 39, it says, for I, Jesus speaking, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing, I hold it, and all that he's given me. He's talking about the church, he's talking about you guys. He will not give you up. He will not lose you. He's trustworthy. But do you know what he's going to do instead? He's going to raise you on the day of redemption. You guys know that, right? He says, I'm going to raise you on that last day. He's not going to let go of you, friends. I tell my kids all the time, he started you. Psalm 139, oh Lord, you've searched me. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You knew me when we always tell him. He knew you even before you became one in mom's tummy. And he knows you. He has thoughts of you guys. He has thoughts of you. The creator thinks of you, Luke. He thinks of you. Think about that. It's incredible. So in other words, what Jesus was saying here is, I just do what the Father's will is, and I don't ever violate it. And that's something good for us, nor do I lose it. Jesus always did the Father's will. He was faithful. In John 9, 4, it says, I must work the works of him who sent me. I must. It wasn't even a choice. No, I must do this. I must do this. I like that. That should be our de- us people that follow Jesus. Maybe we should define our faithfulness by this. Can we define it like that? Are we doing what we must do that Jesus has commanded us to do? Are you faithful? Would Jesus say, Anthony, you're faithful to do the works I've sent you to do? My goodness. I don't know some days. I just don't know. But I want to be. And I hope I to be, to be, right? So the Holy Spirit continues on in this verse 2, and he says that Moses was faithful in all of God's house. You see, this is... Yeah, I'm sorry. I have like 27 pages here, guys. Don't be afraid. 
It's just that being a teacher and teaching Zoom uh, over Zoom, I have to use these all the time, so the font's huge. That's why there's so many. It literally is only four pages. So don't worry, guys. But the Holy Spirit is showing his love, right? Show, Holy Spirit continues to show his love in comparison with Jesus and Moses. That's what he does. You see, Moses was faithful. He carried God's plan faithfully. He came out of Egypt. He led them out of Egypt. He led them through the wilderness. And God refined him. Moses believed everything God said. Maybe not initially. It might have taken him a couple seconds. Jesus, on the other hand, immediately, right? But he did believe. And even went up against the situations that defied his logic. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Hold out your stick, man. Hold it out. The sea's about to open. I would have been like, what are you talking about? Are you sure? My faith, right? The faith of a mustard seed. Thank God it's only, you guys know the size of a mustard seed, right? I mean, you can't even, you might not even see it if I have it on my finger, but that's all God wants from us. But he did it. It's crazy. So he was faithful, and we know that he made the mistakes. We know he killed the Egyptian. We know that he, he sometimes wrestled with what God was telling him. Are you sure? Should I do it? You know, he did all those things. But the Holy Spirit continued to emphasize the similarities between Jesus and Moses, not to cause the Jewish community to tune him out. Who's been tuned out before by truth because the person giving it is just maybe marred in some difficulties and you have your own opinion of him? I know I have. I've always done that. and I don't want to do that anymore. Well, faithful in all of God's house. The word house is actually pretty cool here. It means household. And that word household right there in the Greek, comes, well, it comes from the Greek oikos. You guys you ever heard of oikos? Taking care of your house, your things that God, the things that God puts in, in your sphere of influence? Well, the deeper meaning is this. It means the family, the family's property or properties, and the house. So Moses was faithful with God's house, God's household, right? Which was the house of David, the house of Israel, the Old Testament church, the believers. Israel, Moses was totally faithful with all that. And he was a steward. And this is a key right here, friends. Steward isn't the owner. Steward is more like the manager. I'm going to ask, what is God giving you to manage, friends? What does God have you in your, what's your, what are you responsible for in your life right now? What is God giving you to manage in your life? What is God calling you to manage and to faithfully finish, to start and finish no matter how long it takes? What is he doing? Remember, you don't own your house. You were bought with a price. So be faithful. Be faithful. Do it. So Jesus was also faithful to his house. But what is Jesus' household? Well, we find that in Ephesians 2.19. And it says this, just a quick paraphrase. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens talking about us. No longer. But now we're fellow citizens. We're brothers. We're sisters with the saints and members of the household of God. Who is this? It's us. Everybody say the church. The church. The ones who place their faith in God through Jesus. That's Jesus' charge now. He's in charge of our house. So as the believers of the Old Testament are called the house of Moses, the believers of the New Testament are called the house of Christ. And as Moses was faithful to his earthly household... Jesus was faithful to the heavenly household, and he is faithful. So Moses and Jesus are both faithful, but here comes a difference in verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder has of a house than the, than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And this is so good, friends. You see, Moses was faithful, but he's a piece of the house. He's just a piece he might be part of maybe, I don't know, what is that stone that holds them together, that locking stone? He might be one of those. He might be stuck in the foundation somewhere, but he's just part of the house. Jesus, Jesus made the house. Jesus made us, and that's the difference. He created Israel, and all things were made by him. In Hebrews 1, it says that 
and John 1. Was that John 1 or Colossians 1 you just read right now? Colossians, yeah. And without him was not anything that was made, right? He's the word. Before anything was, he was. He spoke, and everything we see visible and invisible was. That's Jesus. He's in charge of our house. So what's that mean for us then? Well, I believe we too. We're stewards. We're stewards of a house. This house here, our earthly body, it harbors our soul, right? We too have a choice in the matter of faithfulness. I love this little girl right here. You know what? This is what church was like with Jesus. You guys know that? When he was preaching, the kids were walking around and talking and singing. They were listening, but that was, that was warranted. I love that. That's good. So we too have a choice in the matter of faithfulness, don't we? To be faithful to what God has revealed to, of himself to us. Will we steward the gifts of the Spirit that he's endowed us with? Will we? The fullness of the Spirit. You guys know what the fruits of the Spirit are? Love, joy, peace, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, right? Gentleness, self-control. All those fruits. Patience, key. Gosh, that's the one I struggle with the most. That's why I forgot it. Did you guys know that when you come into a relationship with Jesus, when you say, Jesus, I believe in your cross, I believe your blood was shed for my sin, that you took the penalty of my sin on the cross, and that I could have salvation through my faith in you? Did you know that in that moment, the fullness of all the fruits of the Spirit are, are present in your life? Did you know that? They are. It's our job to work it out and let the Holy Spirit move us and, and, and work through us. But they're there. That's what's alive in all of us today. That's what we have to steward. And what are we going to do with God's message? What are we going to do with his word, friends? How are we going to allow that to move us? How are we going to move with him? Hmm, that's a tough one. I wanted to say this. As my family of I and I have been, we, we, we watch this series. I'm going to plug it again. I love it. It's called The Chosen. If you guys have not seen it, watch it. There's two seasons. They're working on a third season. And it's literally about the people Jesus chose to follow him. The people he chose to, to impart how to live life for God. All right? Well, it's, it's incredible. Uh, but here's the statement. Every time I watch it, what I take away is, this is big. This is so big, guys. Jesus modeled everything they needed on how to live and how to steward what he gave them, what he revealed to them in his life. And these people, we call them disciples, apostles, anybody, other people that were in that, in that sphere, their faithfulness to what God revealed and the Holy Spirit's help is the reason there's a church today. You guys think about that? Their faithfulness. You can just start with that small number, 12, and even went down when Judas made this choice, right? It started there. So the question is, one more time, what will we do with what Jesus has revealed to us? All right, we're arriving at our third point here. I hope you guys are doing okay. I wasn't sure how long this was going to be. Kelly said an hour and a half, but I was like, no way. No, he didn't say that. He said 30 minutes. So we've talked about that, right? So we've talked about how Jesus himself Jesus is greater in the first two ways. He's greater. Where are all my notes at? He's greater in his office as an apostle and as our high priest. Now he's greater than the builder of the house. And now, our third point, he's greater in his person as a son, as a son. So before we look at it, please notice uh, the distinction here in in the scripture. In this passage, we're going to see that Moses is by person a servant. Jesus is by person a son, and it says it right there. That's such a big difference, church. It really is. 
And, and you're probably, well, why? Why, Anthony? Well, here we go. John 8 says it this way. He says, he offers the understanding through in John 8, 25. And the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. In other words, there's a certain ranking for the son, isn't there? Servants come and go. They come and go, but sons are for life. You're stuck with me, Dad. And so there's a difference. Well, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant and to testify to the things that were spoken to later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast in our confidence and our boasting and hope. So that's verses 5 and 6. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify. Why? To testify to the things that were going to be spoken later. You, you know this little verse here? I found like 10,000 sermons on this one verse by itself. I'm not going to do that to you guys. Or verse 6, um, but there's a lot here. Maybe Kelly will get into verse 6, the implications of what it means for us as followers and our responsibilities. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast, like he holds us, right? He holds on, he doesn't lose it, to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. You see, Moses is a very faithful servant. Man, he is faithful. This is a good word, right? Faithful servant. Because it's used in scripture, servant, to talk about angels and prophets. They're considered faithful. Moses is considered in the same way. That's crazy. It's a, it's a dignified word. There's dignity in that and being a servant. We're called to be servants, guys. There's dignity there, friends. It's a word of ranking. You see, Moses, he was what? Faithful, but he was obedient too. He was a caring servant, and he was a great steward for what God gave him. He was a great steward. So we were talking in our community group this week about Moses' faithfulness and how over five chapters in the book of Exodus, um, I don't know what Tim's question was, but we somehow got here. And it said that Moses was called faithful to obey all of God's commands in five chapters, 22 times. 22 times. He was said, Moses is faithful to obey everything I command. God said that about him. That's crazy, right? Here's another one. Can God say that about you, Mike? Can God say that about you, Ash? All of us. He's asking that. Can he? That's not, I hope that's not a slap. That's not a, none of this. It's just let him. Allow him to, right? I think it's pretty awesome that the Holy Spirit never once compared Jesus with Moses' failures. You didn't hear any of that. I said it, but you didn't hear any of that. And why is that, guys? Why? Because our best what? Our best just pales in comparison to who God is, who Jesus is. It just pairs. It does not compare. It's incomparable. Indescribable. All those, that, those songs, right? Because Jesus is infinitely greater. Consider Jesus today. Consider Jesus. But Moses, again, was faithful. And why was he? Well, here's the reason. Because he's a testimony of those things which are to be spoken of after. He's just a shadow, guys. He's just the shadow. Who makes the shadow? The light, right? The light that shines into all the darkness that casts no more shadow. Well, God is coming after him. Jesus is coming after him. You see, Moses wasn't the end. That's what Judaism, that's what this, pe- this group of people didn't understand. You see, Moses was only as faithful as his testimony to those things which were yet to be said. That was it. Much of Moses' life, it attests to Jesus in a prophetic sense. Now, you can go back and look at his life, and he's speaking of Jesus here. He's preparing the way for Jesus. You can't take Moses, this is what I'm getting at, you can't just take Moses' life without Jesus because it's incomplete. The story just ends. 
And that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell the Jewish believers and the Jewish people. And maybe some of us here today, guys, maybe some of us, you can't just go to church because your family goes to church and say, oh yes, I know God. No, and I hope that doesn't offend anyone. But the Holy Spirit says, no, look at this. You need Jesus. Consider Jesus. Jesus is the capstone, right? He really is. There's a shadow. Without, it's only a shadow. If you only have a shadow and you don't literally have the sun, it's, there's just no substance. No substance. So in Hebrews 3.5, it says this, that Moses was only a servant who pointed to something which was to come afterward, right? And he was a steward of another's house, of another's house. But Christ, not a servant, not a servant at all. But what was he? A son. A son, friends. Over another's house? No. Over what? Whose house was it? It was his. God's his. They're one. Whose house are we then? I was telling Kelly, you know, because I'm a Rams fan, whose house, right? Rams house. But I was going to start with that, but I, I, he didn't really show any of any like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So I just decided not to. <laughs> but I like it. Whose house are we, friends? We're not the Rams house. Do you like it? Do you know who Christ's house is? Right here, friends. Everybody who sits under the word in the world, the true word that preaches Jesus, his cross, that is the house. We're built together. Ephesians 2.22 for a habitation of the Spirit. That's what it says. We're built. We are the Lord's house. So in verse 5, Moses is gone now. And we're left to look solely on Jesus, right? The creator of the house and the son whose house it is. And it goes on to say, we are his house if we hold fast to our confidence and our boosting in hope. It almost says, well, you're his house, but and I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to let Kelly talk about that because I might get excommunicated from the church if I say it wrong. But there's a whole nother, there's a whole rich, rich, rich theology for these two verses. And I hope that we might be able to hear it one day. No, that's it. That's everything. There's so much to process and work through from the last part of six. Lord willing, we'll do that another day. Well, in the last few weeks, as I consider this, Kelly asked me about two and a half weeks ago if I wouldn't mind doing this. And I was thinking, okay, you know, this is the first time I've ever shared up here like this, you know, in this, in this, in this, in this way. And it's like, God... I just want, how do, we, how do we give them though? Here's a take, here's a take, take this. Well, I kept coming back to this one thing over and over again. Consider Jesus. I woke up in the middle of the night to go relieve my bladder. Consider Jesus. I'm driving to work thinking about an IEP I have to do for my, my students. Consider Jesus. I'm walking down the stairs. Babe, babe, can you go to the garage and get some paper towels? Consider Jesus. It was all, it was, whatever was happening, it was consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. I looked at that word consider. Kelly did this and I got this from him. And it isn't just a word. Consider isn't meaning, okay, hey Marco, and, and you're done with it. Consider means what? It involves a, a posture, a type of posture, if one is to weigh Jesus' words, his worth. You can't just look at Jesus, look at him. Anybody can look at Jesus, excuse me. Anyone can look at him. The demons know who Jesus is. They look at him. You've got to look of him. Jesus said, look of me. Think of me. Look at me. It literally means to set your gaze upon something, to consider. In this case, to set your gaze upon Jesus. Church, we need to gaze upon Jesus in every season of life. In every season. The world seems like it's a little upheaval right now, no? There's a lot going on. Consider Jesus. Gaze upon Jesus. Look at Jesus. 
we were praying this morning, Kelly's like, let's talk about Jesus, consider Jesus. I'm just saying, Jesus, when we look on you, when we look on you, we're barely even touching the surface. If you're just reading this word and it's like for words and not, and not letting it marinate in who you are and thinking about it, where have I seen this in my life, God? Do I see application in my life, God? Is there a place for me in this word, God? We're not considering Jesus. We need to gaze on him. Philippians 3.10 says this. Paul said this. Listen to this. This is crazy. I'm going to try to explain this to you in a, in a clear way. He says this, that I may know him. Paul, Paul the apostle, Saul of Tarsus, Paul said that I may know him. Why? Why did he say that? I mean, this guy penned so much of the New Testament. He knew God. He knew him. He had a face-to-face with him. He saw Jesus. He spoke with Jesus. Why did he say this? Why? I think he may have meant this. I'm just getting to know you, God. There's so much more depth to you. I want to know more. You know, he had a longing. I'm going to talk about another Paul real quick, and I want to end with this. My friend, my first kind of really outside of my family, my first spiritual mentor, his name is Paul Richardson. His dad wrote this missional book called A Peace Child. The Peace Child? And now he wrote a book called A Certain Risk. He's a missionary to, to uh, Muslim people in Indonesia. And Indonesia is a small country, but it is the, has the highest amount of Muslims in the world in that it's so concentrated, so small. Well, there are missionaries there. And about 20 years ago, I'm trying to get Paul to come speak here. I just want, I want to share his, his life with you guys. Um, about 20 years ago, they were getting ready to leave. It was literally the day they were leaving to get on the airplane with everything. They'd sold everything, what they can carry, they were sending, they were going. I mean, they still live there, guys. They're still there doing this. But the day of, he went swimming in the morning, and he would think he was at his brother's house, and he had a workout. I want to work out so I can sleep better on the plane, he was probably thinking. And so he got in the shower, they left the door open. It was him and Cindy, and they had a son. They had a son at that. He was a little toddler. I think he was about a year old. Well, he comes out of the shower, and he opens the door because it's just steamy, and there's a small little room at a house, right? And Cindy comes around the corner, and she goes, Paul, I think it's Stephen, right? Josiah, Josiah, where's Josiah? Where's Josiah? And Paul's like, hey, buddy, where are you at? I don't know. Where are you? Where are you? And so he goes outside. He's looking everywhere, and he says, go to the pool. So he walks over to the pool, and he looks down, and his little baby, about this big, was around the, around the drain of the pool. This is the day they're supposed to leave to Indonesia, okay? So he sees him there. He dives in. He dives in with desperation. Think about the desperation as a father and mother, right? He dives in, and he, and he scoops him up, and as he breaks the surface, he just hears Cindy like this primal scream, this scream of terror, of, of desperation, of, God, I need you. Okay, that's what he heard. He gets him out, and his brother Shannon was there, and he just starts a little CPR on him. They're calling 911 and, you know, the life flight and all that stuff. And he's just broken. Like, you know, he's not a great swimmer. Probably he's out of breath, and he's just desperate and crying. And he's on his knees, and he's on his knees crying out to God. And in that moment, In that moment, he sees Jesus walking to him. He sees Jesus. This is his word. And he'll tell you, I don't know if it was just my, you know, the way God made me, and I couldn't, you know, I, my mind is everywhere. But he said he saw Jesus. And in that moment, the way he describes it, it was just this warmth. I found hope. It was just a fleeting second. And then he heard Cindy cry again and just praying and crying and screaming. And he snapped out of it. But Paul, to this day, if he tells you the story, do you know what he says? 
Ever since that's happened, I just want to see him again. I want, it's like this desperation, this urge, this pining, this need. I need to see him. He's the only one. He's the only one that can meet me, right? (laughs) Crazy. I think Paul was kind of talking about that, thinking about that. Paul, he had encountered Jesus, and it was immediate and short, but that's what happened. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul was longing for with his interaction with Jesus. What did Paul know, friends? What did he know? Why did he want more of him? Why did he want to know more? Well, I think I kind of might have found a better, another answer too in Timothy 2. And it's short. Don't worry. We're almost there. I believe it's the answer. See, Timothy was, uh, was one of uh, Paul's mentees, I guess you could say. And Paul wrote a letter to him. And he, Timothy was struggling. He was a young pastor, a leader of this church and servant, right? And so Paul, is, he's writing to encourage him. And Paul doesn't just tell him a list of things to do. He doesn't say, you got to do this, you got to do this, then you got to do this, and you better do this. He does not do that. Instead, he does this. I wish I knew it by heart. He says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, born of the seed of David, risen from the dead. It isn't a list of things to do, friends. He says, remember Jesus Christ. Gaze on him. Learn of him. In other words, friends, what have we been talking about? Consider, I'm signing like I'm talking with my nonverbal kids, I apologize. Consider Jesus today. That's what we take. The Holy Spirit is saying in Hebrews, and now to us, consider Jesus. Look to Jesus. Let everything else drop and just focus on him. Because he is what will carry you through the difficult, through those impossible moments in our life. What What did Jesus say in John 8? I don't lose anything given to me. He's not going to lose you, friends. And I got to say it, Josiah is alive and thriving today. He was brain dead, clinically brain dead, but God was using his life powerfully today, just so you know. Let's pray together, okay? Precious God, so much to absorb, so much to take in, but I thank you, God, that you're the one at work. Your word says you never rest. You're always at work in the lives of your church and people. You want to reveal yourself to people. And I pray, God, that what was spoken here today would spawn a salvation, might spawn growth toward you, Lord, strengthening of faith, understanding of purpose. Jesus, we love you. Help us to look upon you. Help us to look at you and expect you to be faithful. You are good. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.